This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wode, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal Cast and YouTube. Hey guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast. Uh, it's been kind of a downtime in MTG Finance, and we've kind of been digging into some stuff in the background, and we figured something we'd kind of want to cover is kind of tangentially related to a topic I've been beating to death, which is that magic is dying and the sky is falling. Uh, but basically, during this time, what some vendors, collectors, stuff like that are doing, because it's kind of like a pattern we've noticed of mm -hmm. people basically divesting from MTG finance and moving into other kinds of collectible finance. So it's just one of those like, hey, this is kind of related to this. Maybe try to see what's out there if magic is kind of not doing it for you anymore yeah. so yeah or maybe uh, you have another interest in another game for another reason or just another collectible you know there are people making this switch don't feel like you should stick with magic because you're deeply vested in it yeah uh you you can very often especially now there's vendors that do everything not just troll not just you know star city whatever you can find bigger vendors even the gp vendors and be like hey uh, I have a bunch of magic cards and I want to divest into something else. So so one person uh, we wanted to highlight in particular is actually Les Alex on Twitter. This is somebody that uh, you actually know. Uh, we yeah. watched them go from working inside magic to over the last couple of months stepping away and moving into sports cards. I believe it might have been slanted baseball first, and now it's um, predominantly baseball and NBA. Yep. They they now Two have sports he loves the most. Yep. They now have their own website, Discord set up dedicated to this, and basically have just moved into the realm of sports cards. Yeah. Uh, so it's the thing that's interesting about this, and this is something we kind of touched on when we were talking about mature versus immature markets, and just differences between collectibles. And one of the things that's really attractive about sports cards, uh, which I myself have actually been getting more into. Uh, now, over the last couple of years, they've really just exploded. So Mahomes entered the NFL, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden there was a current print set by Panini, National Treasures, that was hitting ten to $17,000 a case, which is unheard of for an in-print product at Magic. Yep. And one of the reasons that stuff like that is happening is because you have cards like this. So this is a Drew Pearson autograph with a game-worn jersey that is numbered 13 of 15. There are only 15 of this card in the entire world. And that's something that Wizards doesn't necessarily disclose. So you have a known quantity of how many of a certain card you have in some cases, and those are obviously the more desirable ones. Those are the ones that people want more of, and it's a lot easier for someone who's in, like, the lay and not necessarily into the minutia and has very entrenched vendor knowledge of prices to kind of see something like that and say, hey, there's only 10 of these in the world. This has got to be worth something. And it's, it's kind of intoxicating to have that and get into that when you're going for magic. And you have the added element of, oh, you know what's great? I, you know... I collect Cowboys cards. Yeah, I'm a Cowboys fan. Kill me. Whatever. We can't all be winners. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> we certainly can't. <laughs> and 
it's it's another way to identify with another fandom and kind of have something else that you can strike up a conversation about yep. because you're passionate about your team you're passionate about the players and it's just really nice to have so you've seen some people kind of move into that yeah uh, and it's it's different than gaming as you mentioned because it's a completely different group of people it's a completely different aspect of life for a lot of people you know sports are life you know outside yeah. of their nine to five it's their way to relax they just get to watch competition and we do too inside our gaming realm but we're also able to compete at various levels as well in our own communities and so it offers a bridge to uh, something else something different which is nice sports cards in particular is going to be something we focus on here because of the boom in the market and we've heard and i i can find tales of this but i cannot find an actual article that says people like warren buffett have begun to move into the graded sports card market even if it's just to kind of toe in to really essentially yeah. set up a foundation and begin to build on so when you have somebody who's this kind of like financial apex predator move in and they start lending their weight and their belief that this market is real you're going to have other people move in as well other sharks in essence not whales and i want to be clear here these are not whales these aren't homers these are sharks people who know yep. what they're doing and uh people move in and uh the, somebody like uh, gary i believe it's vaynerchuk so i yeah. his last name moved in last year or the year before as well and you can find it all over his twitter and uh his website that he's begun to move into sports cards, something he used to do as uh, as a kid. And about yep. a year ago, you know, he wrote his article about why he moved in because he thought sports cards were going to be the way to go, uh, both for finance and have a cultural impact. And at the same time, he was also dabbling with Magic and Pokemon, although I believe he pulled back from Magic. However, he does have a little bit of stock in slapped Pokemon because nostalgia. Yeah. But this is somebody else that's now lending their voice to sports cards and gary v is well known in the marketing world if you yeah you know follow any kind of uh, marketer on twitter they're going to be usually quoting or talking to slash at uh, gary v his books are fairly widely read i think it's like jab 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 left punch or something like that yeah uh, it's a marketing book from a couple years ago that's kind of industry standard and he is all over the place. He's highly visible. And the videos of him at his own booth at sports card conventions over the last year are rampant on Instagram. I think he started his own Insta for it, so it's off of his main one, but you can find it really easily and you'll just see a litany of videos of him cracking uh, those panini packs, of him opening his uh, graded mail, like what he got back, yeah. uh, a la graded power and magic. And the more this happens, the more people come to agree that this market is stable it's one you can move into it's one you can capitalize on and it's one that is kind of underserved because it's just a trading card there's not much more to it than that so you need people who want to buy purely into a collectibles market to do so but all these powerful yeah. people are there all this money is there now it is becoming more legitimized than it was before in that regard and it's it's also interesting to see because there's a little bit more liquidity into it because of the identity that goes into it. You know, as Magic players, we constantly, you know, the metagame shifts, we change decks. You may be like me and you're like, well, I'm just always going to play grindy midrange and that's my identity. Yeah. And you kind of touched on, you know, 
sometimes when you have like, oh, I identify with a city. You know, St. Louis is known for the best fans in baseball. So it, it's part of the city identity. And, you yeah. know, you get, I think it was a couple weeks ago, and we have the link for it. Uh, Mike Trout graded auto $3.9 million that the guy bought four years ago for 400K. And he 10X'd in four years. And, like, that's absurd. And that's how you're seeing a lot of these people start to move in because all of this money is there. Mm -hmm. There was a card this year, Zion Rookie, that had a half-million-dollar buy list. Buy list of half a million dollars. And you see things like this, and, of course, people naturally kind of move into it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that that's one aspect that they're moving into is like the sports collectible world and then you know the other card game that a lot of people move into which you touched on is pokemon yes uh you know i i know for a fact there's a number of vendors at like most of the gp booths you know toa mtg mint uh cool stuff moose all over the place at 95 that they're all like hey i'm you know personally i'm gonna go in on pokemon mm -hmm because it's fun it's neat and it's nostalgic yep and you've seen that market blow up i last year i bought a sealed first edition team rocket box for 3500 bucks and it's going for about 8k right now because it's just exploded mm -hmm. and it's it's interesting and you're you're tracking some as well right you've got some old pokemon yourself yep. uh yeah i have a chunk of my collection that i finally just kind of uh tracked out the other day because I, when Pokemon Go hit, I decided to finish out my Shadowless base set because I had the money card already. I opened the Charizard when I was a child, so the rest of the set cost me like under $200. And I was like, well, this is, they're literally sitting in my closet next to my cube. Let's track this out. And the absurdity of all the cards in the set are ridiculous. Cards that just don't matter anymore because people either want to put the sets together, they just like the Pokemon, the the nostalgia for the original base set, and that continues through, like you mentioned, Team Rocket. It's not just base. It is the Watsi era, where Watsi was actually printing these sets, and they stopped, I think, one set after Rocket. I think they made, I think it's Gym yeah. Heroes or something like that, and that was the last yeah. set that Watsi made, and then uh, Nintendo had pulled back the contract. But that entire era of the game is basically just coming back with a vengeance. It was also helped that at the time, Nintendo reprinted essentially a mashup set of base jungle and fossil for a standard environment. Yeah. You could play all those old cards again with a little bit of retooling to make the current, uh, to work within the current rule set. And some of the things that were just too overpowering back then were moved from the set. So yeah. uh, things like, I don't think Wigglytuff was in there. Uh, because that just ran the game for a while. And that's become a market that we've seen kind of publicly grow for a while. What's been happening behind the scenes is slabbing. And the slab stuff is what really uh, just kind of demands an incredible premium. I, I didn't think to look it up, but you can find a video from Pawn Stars a couple of years ago with some where a gentleman walks in with like 10 or 12 graded 9 plus base set Charizards, and I don't know if they're all first dead or anything like that, but it, the, those guys were shocked to see that many of that one card slabbed as high as it was. 
And that's what's going on behind the scenes for that game. The churn is absolutely there regardless. It doesn't matter what era of Pokemon, it's always going to be hot. What is surprising is how hot the standard sets are. Not just the nostalgia-driven stuff. And if the sets are good for constructed, it's wildfire. And they are nigh impossible to keep in stock. If you're looking yeah. for something that's easy to churn... Craigslisting or Facebook marketplacing Pokemon is the way to go. A lot of people just have stuff kicking around from forever ago. There's, it, we're definitely still in that era of founded at a garage sale when it comes to Pokemon. And anything that is first edition sells easily. If it's notable, it also sells easily. And the only time it's very hard to sell anything is in the kind of nascent years of the Nintendo era where they were still figuring out the game and it basically died out for the next i'd say three-ish generations of pokemon and i don't mean sets i mean like three three games worth of uh sets up until maybe black and white once that game once that game came out for the game boy the game became the card game became good again i don't know what happened yeah. i wasn't playing i wasn't paying attention uh the other thing is the game itself has a very entrenched audience and they do play online pokemon yep. packs come with a card to redeem a pack online that still carries value they catch about a dollar each at, at booth so you crack a pack uh, crack a box sell the singles and then sell the lot of uh codes for 36 dollars and yep. there's just extra value in your box if I was going to move away from Magic, Pokemon would be the game I go to because I understand it better and it makes more sense as a game and engine than Yu-Gi-Oh! does where things are constantly changing and everything is legal until it's banned. Yeah. So, It's, it's also interesting because you, it's one of the markets where you do have an active player base and you're seeing basically what mirrors the old school boom in magic a couple years ago where you know things weren't necessarily great economically so people started investing into like non-depreciating assets and collectibles so you're kind of seeing this explosion right now with old school pokemon and i know a number of people that are playing old school pokemon which is basically watsi era Mm -hmm. uh with modern deck building philosophy behind it that are just kind of doing it and it's it's interesting to see this happen in another market because right now it's happening at like the very high levels and that's where it's exploding and like you mentioned you're starting to see the explosion on the lower end stuff where there's just trash professor oak level commons yes that are hitting 10 20 bucks which is you know you would think is unheard of but then you see stuff where like repentant blacksmith hits 50 dollars, which is i still think fake uh, and, and that's not something that we've really seen in a collectible game outside of Magic. So it's interesting to see that it's now being mirrored and that mm-hmm. you're having the same movement into that field. Yeah. So. And it's not like Pokemon is that much younger a game than Magic. The, the base set is copyrighted 96, 97, 98, 99, 99. Yeah. And so you're looking at a game that was in development for those four years as Magic was actively being produced. Magic was two years old by the time Pokemon... like, in, Magic had been in development for years, but was publicly two years old by the time at least uh, the Pokemon card game had been copyright. Yeah. So they're not that far off. Yu-Gi-Oh! comes like another two years later, I think. 
but that is it's, out of my oh. purview. Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting to note that personally, I think there's a bit more longevity to Pokemon. The thing about Magic is, you know, when it started and we first started playing, we were the majority. Mm -hmm. As we've gotten older, we're still the majority. So the oh, yeah. audience is aging up. So you're seeing the financial explosion there. Pokemon's interesting because the audience is still young kids and people our age. Yes. So you're getting the 20 and 30-somethings that just like playing competitive mm -hmm. games that are pushing a financial market while you also have the younger market pushing those standard singles. Th yeah. And it's been interesting to see it. You know, you go to your LGS for Pokemon Night, and it's an incredibly diverse, like, age 10 to 30 mm -hmm. that are there to play, and they're, you know, all of them are spending the time and money on it. So that's, it's kind of interesting because, you know, personally, I, even though I'm in sports cards, uh, that is a bubble market that I think is going to burst because there's a current set slabbed card that broke the T206 record, and that's insane to me. Yep. Anyways, um, uh, interesting Pokemon about, has staying power. Yes, interesting oh, to note about Pokemon is that uh, outside of the FNM level, at the competitive level, there's actually a split in division. There's a juniors and an adults. So unlike Magic, where you know anybody that shows up to a Magic Fest with the money to pay entry can play in the event, and you have you know children playing against entrenched adults, Pokemon actually splits it out. And the metas for those two are completely different. So the price drivers for that game are actually kind of wild. Now, a lot of times yeah. they'll coalesce around certain things, and but more often than not, you'll see a lot of the, the children that are competing playing the decks they like with the characters they like or what they can afford, really. And the adults are the ones setting the true metagame, playing you know the most tuned decks because they can afford those cards. So it drives the... Not the entire market because you still have draft shaft. You you do draft in that game. That's an aspect of Pokemon. You draft it at some point, but it does push a larger swath of the market because of that. So, bring back the JSS. I mean, I. That's I, all I, I'm gonna say. I I sell Ryan all my Elvis champions if I had him. Right. <laughs> so I, I I think it's interesting though to see that there's a little bit of lateral movement here and we have in one hand an already bloated market that people are moving into yep. that's getting even more bloated in sports cards and you have a high-end collectible market that you're seeing kind of what happened a couple of years ago with magic start to happen again mm -hmm. uh, and yeah it's it's been happening for a little bit but you're still not to the point where you have old school cards randomly spike to a hundred dollars and just sit there for months on end yeah yeah so kind of kind of thought it was worth mentioning and bringing up at least because Absolutely. it is something that kind of does affect the mtg finance market because a lot of the big money might be divesting from this and moving into these other markets so okay. yeah for sure um then the the last kind of changeover and i'm not terribly familiar with it is basically the move from magic into uh, Yu-Gi-Oh. Yugi yeah. is a game that I deal with. I've been asked to buy it here and there. I am not terribly good at it because the for it changes all the time. But it is another game that can be nostalgia-driven, and uh, we do have an example of somebody who's made that lateral movement in uh, TCG gaming. You know, they still do some magic stuff here and there, but their YouTube channel and a lot of their social media now is basically uh, taken over. Uh, by Yugi because there's a ton of value to be extracted all over that game if you know where to look. 
Yeah. And that's not something we... I don't want to speak for both of us, but I, I can't really guide on Yugi outside from a handful of cards and certain sets. Similarly, uh, if you have something to say about Yugi... Oh, I, I was going to say, it's it's also interesting and worth noting that in both the case of Les Alex and TCG, uh, you know, at one point, Les Alex was on the front page as a sponsored content creator for Wizards, participated in that. TCG's been working for vendors. He's another admin, of, or they're another admin of Sick Deals. So, like, this, this is something that you're seeing people who are in the community do. And I, I'm like you. I have no knowledge of Yu-Gi-Oh! whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, does nothing for me yeah so uh what i was going to mention is that the, sh the lateral shift from magic into games like uh yugi and db super which is also up and coming and going through its own financial growths and pains is always an avenue for people to to take on Th these games are playable there are environments for them obviously now is probably not the time to go looking for your local play group and see what they're interested in but this is these are alternative markets that are always hot uh, super is the newest thing and people are buying it all over the place and that's a card game that if you've never seen it or played it one looks extraordinary because almost everything comes in foil i have like three yeah. pieces of or four pieces of bulk here that i got with a, a magic card order like these things look amazing there are walls of text and the game promotes you for just staying on theme and playing a deck full of your favorite character and it's basically, um, this is a description that people use for fighting game, uh, like cer certain matches, where it's just heavy punch. It's all the matchup yep. is, certain characters versus certain characters, is just heavy punch the match. That's all Dragon Ball is. You just yep. have no early game, and you're just swinging haymakers. So it's everything you ever want to mimic from the show in a card game, in that location. And they are trimming the rules. I think there's a little bit of an issue in translation originally, much like there was for uh, the first little bit of Yugi. Like, translating that game over didn't work out for the first couple of years. But things are kind of falling in line and making uh, a lot more sense than they used to. And the game is just you know, picking up much faster than Final Fantasy, uh, but is definitely something you can look into and move. There is a bit of market manipulation that they've been seeing because they never really had a marketplace DB Super. So once it hit TCG yeah. player and people were able to move stock, they began seeing a lot more buyouts than they had previously when it was just Facebook Marketplace. But if you're able to, to buy in, it's definitely a game that has staying power for the interim. And it's it, the interesting thing about DBZ especially is that DBZ has had, I have lost count of how many failed card games. Oh, yeah. But every single time, it gets closer to reiterating exactly what you want from a DBZ game. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think Super is actually potentially the best one we've had so far. Because like you said, it's heavy punch, heavy punch, heavy punch. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's another instance where you have people our age that grew up watching it that now have all this disposable income that are going to start... Well, I guess I can relive a little bit of my childhood and my free time. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not like you're going anywhere during quarantine so i guess i'll play a bunch of camera matches and watch old reruns of dbz yeah. so it's it's kind of got a very serendipitous timing yeah unintentionally we've mentioned but. the transformers game and i don't know anybody who's bought into or plays that but if there was another game to come out before or after transformers and just dunk that game into oblivion super would be it yeah 
if Watsi didn't already do it themselves. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, the fact that they started Transformers without a vision for tournament play because they just wanted to they wanted it to be kitchen table, and then people are like, well, wait a minute, this is good enough to play tournaments. Like that's fuel to the fire. But yeah, that, that just goes against the view they had for that game, and I'm okay giving the benefit of the doubt there if they knew from the beginning that they just did not want to support that. But that speaks nothing to how well the game is made. I've seen some of the cards, but not played it yet. So that's neither here nor there. Fair. Uh, so I think that's probably it for additional content creators. Um, any other alternative markets, lateral moves? Uh, not as far as like TCG to TCG. This is going to be a two-parter, though. And next week, we'll get into some other stuff that people are moving into. But I think... You know, the, the thing to really keep an eye on uh, as navigating this, trying to see what other markets are starting to develop, because you don't really have an LGS to rely on mm -hmm. necessarily if you don't have in-store events. So, you know, just strike up a conversation like, hey, how's, you know, TCG sales going? Have you seen different games doing well for you? Are you going to start doing Yu-Gi-Oh? Are you going to start doing this? Just to kind of get a feel for what's going on there, because, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, a lot of us are dependent on our local markets. And if they don't have the stuff there, then, well, yes, you're out, you know? Cause exactly. Because you able to pick stuff up. Just because a game looks good and is playable if doesn't mean that there will be a community to support it locally. And you can look at Buddy Fight, Card Fight, Vanguard, Wipe Shores, uh, all the other DBZ card games, Naruto... Uh, I'm missing something else that came out in the last. Versus system is still around. Both versions Dragon. of the versus system. Yep. Yeah, there's uh -huh. there's a ton of them that I mean, there's still active communities for the original L5R game, not yeah. the new LCG, the old the one. old one. Yeah. Pocketed throughout the country, and it just depends on what your local market has. Yep. So. Uh, Final Fantasy. That's the other one I, I was trying oh, to yeah. think of. Like the U.S. loves Final Fantasy, not nearly as much as Japan, and the cards look amazing. But there's Those no cards are incredible. There's just no gaming community to really support it. So the singles are moving, but just to collectors, and that's it. The the demand is purely collect uh, collectors' value, and when that happens, vendors stop start ordering less, and then eventually less, and the game goes out of print. So, yep. uh, like the other games I rattled off well, again came uh, came and went. The art for them looks ama looked amazing. Some of their systems were great. Some of them had problems optioning properties in the case of Wipe Shores, uh, but. Yeah. If no communities to drive that stuff. So, here we are. Picks? Yes. Let's get away to picks. Uh, and if you don't mind, I'll start. No, nope, you're more than welcome to. So, this one, and we're going to give a shout-out to uh, Mr. James out there at Amdariel. I told you you would like my pick this week based on our conversation. So, mine is fairly easy. Uh reserveless foils uh, we were talking on twitter about old border foils seventh edition everything else and how that's kind of evolved so the reason and specifically done on the site is deranged hermit as an example so reserveless foils that are under a hundred dollars as you see these soft rl foils like glorious anthem and stuff mm -hmm. like that that are basically reserveless because of the old border the foiling technique etc uh that's those sub $100 cards. It's like Weatherseed Treefolk, Second Chance, Deranged Hermit, uh, Multani Marrow Sorcerer, yep. Claws of Gix or Ring of Gix, Same. the one that's the hand with the 
Ring, I guess. Yeah, ring. Yeah. Uh, uh, these have to rise as those soft RL foils rise. Yes. Because these cards aren't getting printed at all. We could get another Glorious Anthem. We could get another Llanowar Elves or Birds of Paradise foil. We can never get another Multani foil. We can never get another Deranged Hermit foil. Those just don't exist for us anymore. Nope. So inevitably, they're going to start ticking up towards $100. And if you take a look and, you know, specifically for Deranged Hermit, I'm talking set foil, not FNM. Judge or FNM or whatever FNM. it was. Uh, it's, judge, no, you're all right, judge, judge, Judge. Yeah, you can still get, in some cases, Japanese foils of Deranged Hermit for less than $100, which is absurd to me. And if you look at stocks are low right now on these foils, 20 bucks. Oh, wait, sorry, that's not foils. Yeah, 81. I'm an idiot. Yeah, uh, $80. So there's only a $20 wiggle room between market and our target here. But I, there's three things certain in life. Death, taxes, the reserve list increasing in price. And this is a prime opportunity that's basically like investing in a CD or something at a much better rate than what you can get a Lotus for. Mm-hmm you will absolutely get a return on this. This is like one of my most sure, you cannot fail picks that I will ever make on this show is getting in on reserveless foils for less than $100. English LP foil low for deranged hermit is $62 shipping included. Jeez. It's just absurd to me. It, it is, especially with a card like that. Every, everything you mentioned, uh, while not iconic, it's still under $100. Radiant Archangel might be the only one that's not 100 yet that you you didn't mention. Yeah. Otherwise, all the other cards that you would think are from Legacy are are over. Um, and the fact that there's a trend for the reserve list, and these are the first foils on the reserve list, the first set in foil, adds more credence. Yeah. And it's, you know, they have the benefit of the soft reserve list and... Mm -hmm reserve list and yeah sure enough radiant is 60 dollars but there's only three listings between 60 and 200 that are less than 100 there you go who's the artist on radiant uh sutfin michael sutfin okay. i think mitchell michael one of the two i don't know yeah i knew rebecca way did some archangel i just couldn't remember which one it was yeah but no i like it and this is definitely something that uh you can move into and feel safe on because eventually Bylas will pick these up as they have, you know, the the wide net to cast when it comes to sales. How deep you want to go is kind of up to you and uh, your wallet. At the moment, there's a run on them. I'm sh FOMO is going to kick in and you'll be able to sell it. If you're able to get a gradable copy, like that's that's just printing money right there. And that's yeah. that, that would be the hope. If I were going to start buying some of these reserve lift foils, would be looking for gradable bills essentially. But I, I like the pick. Uh, I'm also on the reserve list this week, just on the the garbage end of it. <laughs> okay. Uh, my pick is uh, Bubble Matrix, a card I've been watching for about uh, a month and a half, pretty pretty keenly. Yeah, four CMC artifact, all damage dealt to creatures is reduced to zero. So uh, when I first started watching this card, CK was buying 14 at a dollar 14. Uh, when I 
threw this out as a sh uh, on our show notes. They moved it up to 18 at a dollar 30, and they're now currently buying the same quantity, 18, this time for a dollar 80. So in the last four days, it's jumped almost 50 cents on the CK buy list. Uh, TCG player, the overall counts haven't changed a whole hell of a lot. There was 186 uh, unique prices across all conditions at a $2.20 uh, market when I first started tracking. Now we're down to 150 all conditions at about $3.75 market. So we've seen a decrease in stock, increase in uh, price as expected. But there's a lot of chaff on here. You start filtering for light play and near mint and you're down to 55 total. Um, a couple foreign language, but the majority of them uh, are English. So 55 left of probably over 100 from when I first started tracking. It was early on, so I hadn't started tracking the number of uh, LP and near mint, just all copies, which I realized was a mistake shortly thereafter. But the data was not retrievable. Uh, as far as playability goes, this is just purely Commander, and it's kind of all over the place, <sighs> yeah, a bit. It's definitely in the pillow, uh, pillow Fort side of things, and you don't see that in the top Commanders, but when you scroll down and you start looking at the top creatures it's paired with, you have Feldegriff, Questing Feldegriff. Those are, you know, aside from Tristani, the Pillow Fort Commanders. What's interesting now is that people are getting aggressive with Questing Beast and doing a little bit of a reanimator thing with Kenrith. And that allows you to just take one creature and ride it to victory. When it can just keep swinging into combat without consequences. And all you have to do is worry about either reanimating it with Kenrith or in the fact of Questing Beast, your general just costs four. So you just keep ramping into it. Paired with things like Spore Frog, this just basically makes your creature immune to damage in all, in all shapes and forms. And it just kind of creates this obnoxious game state where if you decide to go wide afterwards, after you've just, you know, your sub-theme is tokens like we see in the display, now all your little, little guys don't take damage. And you just create this amassing army of ever-growing creatures that don't die to damage. It's not the, the best theme overall because it does get pretty obnoxious compared to a standard pillow fort build, which basically just lets everybody plays, play the game and then just, like, boom, win. But when you look yeah. at the way Feldegriff used to play, which is just, like, giving people a bunch of tokens and eventually just make more tokens to, to win, it, it makes sense. Being on the reserve list, it gets that bump as well. But the steady trend from a courier release on through basically kind of tells us that we're going to see this card not return back to the over or almost $10, it was uh, almost a little over a year ago. But we're yeah, going to see... Say, I thought it was last year. Yeah, Jan 19. It will climb out of its hole. Uh, we, we just kind of sl steadily slid into nothingness. But now that we've got new creatures and Kenrith and Questing Beast uh, and some more reprints of cards like Seedborn Muse that fit this and the Spore Frog reprint, this allows a lot more people to kind of reach into this deck and pick it up. I think six to nine months from now is where you're going to be able to get out at a break-even to buy list if you're able to get in around $3.50. If you wanted to start making a profit on buy list, I think you're going to have to wait almost a year for this, unless something just pulls attention to this card like we've talked about previously, or there's a run on the reserve list and this gets swept up in it. I don't think it's going to pick up that, uh, any faster than 12 months from now for a profit from buy list. Now, I think that this is also the type of thing that people kind of forgot that it existed until it hit 
the ten dollar boom last year yeah. during a little bit of reserveless fudgery, and I don't know that people who had it who were like, oh, this is ten dollars now. I'm going to put it in my trade binder. It's probably still sitting in the trade binders, and yes. they probably think it's still worth ten dollars. And a lot of times when you're like, oh no, it's only three. Well, they become less attached to it, and it's a lot easier to pick up. Yes. Yeah. Um, Definitely. It, it's also something you know people have in bulk sometimes the the thing about this era is that there are so many rare cards that were just bad <laughs> because oh, EDH didn't exist and this this card screams EDH mm-hmm. now and I think that it, it may be the case of like you said we're, we're getting all of these creatures that interact favorably with it uh, it's more eyes is only good for it and the mm-hmm. more eyes that get on there the better it is the more viable it becomes <laughs> And I mean, if if you look at it, you know, you go from three to five dollars pretty quickly mm-hmm. on the listings. Uh, it's literally the second listing on the second page hits five dollars, and then it just goes up from there. So it's getting in at three now seems really solid. I like the pick. Yeah, I. I it's just one of those things. Like I said, the the more they. They build creatures with Trample, the better this card gets, and the more creatures that we've had, especially with Akoria, things like this just get better over time, and I think this is going to age well. Yeah. So the, we can look at this and see, or again, uh, I brought the graph up a couple of times, sliding it around, you can see this is, did nothing until Ixalan, and then, yeah, it ran up really quick and then came back down because the demand wasn't there yet. Now we're seeing organic demand. So Yeah. I, li- I like this as a long-term investment, if you want to call it that. So, but I think that's going to be it for uh, this side of things this week. Next week, we'll, we will continue the collectible conversation, stepping away from TCGs and moving into some other odds and ends. But until then, I am yeah. halt at Haltime Reptar on Twitter. We are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Patreon, Facebook, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube. We're on a lot of stuff now. That's we are. a good thing. And <laughs> we can find you on Twitter at... Thirsty Sizzler. We'll see you guys next week.